Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Rap. Hey everybody, and welcome back to The Sex Wrap. Uh, I have a really exciting episode for all of you today. Uh, we had such a great response to our How to Anal episode just a couple months ago. I guess that was almost a year ago now, that uh, we have the fabulous Cindy Darnell back on the show with us today. For those of you who don't know, she is a world-acclaimed sexologist. Um, she has the Atlas of Pleasure. Um, she teaches all of these really great... I mean, I should really probably let her introduce herself a little bit. Um, Cindy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm well, Andrew. Thanks for having me back. It's so excited to have other voices from people around the world who care about making sure that the pleasure sexual needs of people are met. Yes. Um, So uh, what would you be doing if you weren't on the call with me right now? I was actually going to go out and do my grocery shopping. How exciting is that? Because a sexologist has to eat, you know, we all have to eat. And uh, I'm kind of, I'm a particular grocery shopper. I'm a, I'm a little bit picky. So, um, and for me to get to the stores that I like to get to, it, it actually involves quite a bit of logistics. There's a train involved, Andrew. I can't just stroll down the street. I have to actually get on a train. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, there's, there's a little bit of a process to it. And I'm, I'm really not much of a grocery shopper, but um, it has to be done. So I sort of have to psych myself into it. So it was a lucky distraction, actually, that this opportunity came up because <laughs> I'd rather be talking about sex than buying groceries frankly so <laughs> i've started doing amazon prime fresh deliveries I, right. there's actually one coming today where i'm going to get home and in front of my door all of my little bags of groceries will be sitting there which is lovely maybe i should consider that i i it's something that i think about sometimes but then i think partly because i spend a lot of time working from home going out and getting groceries actually gets me out and moving around, um, which, you know, you need to do. You need to move your body sometimes, and especially when I'm kind of hooked into a sitting in front of a computer all day. That's not good, you know, so I, I have to be attentive to practicing what I preach and making sure that I move and get out and get some sun and stuff. So, you know, there's a, there's a double-edged benefit to doing this as well. One of the things that I tell uh, people when they ask me about sexual fitness is, uh, it's like, it doesn't really matter what you do, but do at least three things a day. Like, get out and do three active things a day, whether yeah. it's walking or biking Absolutely. or anything fun um, that you enjoy. Um, and if you like doing it, unlike grocery shopping, um, <laughs> you're more likely to stick with it, too. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that our listeners probably have noticed that there is no spring today. Spring was unable to make it. Uh, technical Aww. issues. Uh, so she's not here to chat with Cindy like uh, she was last time, but she'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, so thank you, Spring, wherever you are in yeah, the universe thanks, for being you. Yeah. All right. Um, so today, uh, our format is going to be a little bit different. Over the past almost three years, we've received thousands of questions from our listeners. And a whole bunch of them have been about like sex therapy and counseling and how to get over some of these issues. And I thought it would be fun today to sit and talk to my favorite sexologist in the world about some of the questions that our listeners have come up with. Um, so I think I have a list of eight of them here. Um, we'll just cover as many as we can over the next 20 or 30 minutes. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about them. Um, and, and the very first question is, who needs mm -hmm. sex therapy? 
Well, you know, my, my first response hearing that question, Andrew, is I would say that everybody needs sex therapy. So what I mean by that is that it's not that I think everybody is fucked up, but everybody, we've all grown up in a culture that is very, very sexually defective and very sexually deficient. And what I mean by that is that pleasure information is actively withheld from us. And then because that information is withheld from us, not only is the information withheld from us, but also the the strategies that we can use to, to get that information, either from ourselves or our partners or just you know, uh, resources like this, it's podcasts and off uh, the internet and stuff. Um, We often don't know what to do if we do get the information. Then often we don't know how to integrate it. The information just sort of sits there and it kind of can sit and fester because we think, well, I, I can see the information, but I don't know how to integrate it. I don't know how to make meaning of it. And I don't know how to apply it in my personal individual context. So even though Sex problems, by and large, are actually social problems. They're socially constructed problems that we all have received messages about. It affects us at an individual level. So that's, I think, what makes sex therapy especially uh, interesting, and certainly in the way that I practice it anyway, is that I don't take what we call a, a pathologizing view. So pathology means a sickness view or an illness view. I don't see sex as a disease. I don't see sex as an illness, and I don't see eroticism and pleasure as something to be afraid of or anything that needs a diagnosis. Instead, I help people make meaning of their experiences. I help them make meaning of what they're thinking, feeling, and doing. And I help them orient themselves towards what they think is going to make them feel good long-term, what their values are, what matters to them, what kind of person they want to be, what kind of relationships they want to have, and also how then to be a better communicator, and especially how to be a better listener so you can share those values with your partners and your community at large. And that is going to be the antidote to the, you know, to the sex negative culture that we all live in. So that's really how I can explain to folks that everybody needs sex therapy. That's what I mean. I don't think it is because everybody is sick and or crazy. I think it's because everybody will benefit from spending more time thinking about sex in meaningful ways. I I mean, and I love uh, so many of the different ways that you're presenting this idea that everyone needs sex therapy, that like not everybody is. I mean, I think everyone is kind of effed up in their own way, but Mm. it's these big societal issues. Like uh, I know I talk about sex all the time and I kind of pride myself on not having sexual hangups. And then constantly the world is kind of, interrupting my like I want to be a sex positive good communicator and in mm-hmm. our show we're always talking about communication mm-hmm. I forget that listening component is probably just as important as being the communicator piece I think well I, when I think of communication you know I actually I think of listening first because just what can happen is when we think about communication only as talking it means that we are not tuning out we're not tuning into what other people are saying to the people around us and I think more than I mean talking is important don't get me wrong but listening and being heard they are the activities that actually create connection 
And so more than communication is important, I actually think connection is important. And connection doesn't happen if there's no listening. Because if everyone's talking and nobody's listening, what happens then? You feel unheard, you feel isolated, and then you can end up in arguments or having misunderstandings. That's not connection and that's definitely not communication. So I think we need to sort of shift our conversations a little bit away from just saying communication is important. Well, yeah, it is. But what's more important than that is connection. How do you know when you're connecting with somebody? This is a really important question for us to reflect on. I really like that question too. Um, something that I run into when I'm working with students or young people about uh, sex and sexual health is that uh, a lot of the things that we think build connections between us are actually disconnecting uh, us from other people. Like people mm-hmm. think uh, Facebook and Instagram and social media can really be connecting and build relationships with other people. But mm-hmm. often um, there's so much like portraying that fake perfect self that we lose the ability to connect because you can't connect to that fake perfect internet persona you actually need to like have real intimacy listening communication Mm -hmm. okay so that was a really great answer to question number one who needs it everybody there we go (laughs) there you go um the next question's a little bit sad uh, but mm-hmm. someone want, wanted to know um, how often does sex therapists tell someone that it's over how often does sexologists tell someone that it is over and by it I guess it means their relationship oh well I think any kind of therapist a sex therapist or just a regular psychotherapist would probably never tell a client that something is over because it's not for us as therapists to decide what uh, what a client is going to do or not do. We can, you know, our job is to facilitate a level of kind of self-inquiry. Our, it, we're not there to necessarily tell people what the time is, you know. If someone's going to end a relationship, that that has to come from them. There is no, I think there's no ethical uh, therapist on the planet who would say to somebody, you need to end this relationship or this relationship is over without the client indicating that that is actually what they want to do first. So I think, I mean, defaulting to your therapist as the be all, end all, know all of everything is not always the most helpful thing. Certainly we are there to guide, we are there to listen, we are there to reflect. But at the end of the day, this is your life. This is not your therapist's life. And hopefully your therapist is teaching you not what to think, but rather how to think. Because when you know how to think, how to process feelings, how to, how, then this is the thing, like I was saying before, how to make sense of the information around you, how to give it meaning, how to apply it in your life. Hopefully your therapist is helping you do that. So by in the process of doing that, you're going to be less reliant on your therapist to be making decisions for you, if that makes sense. I love the idea of a therapist helping someone uh, change the way that they either handle information, change the way they think about the world, mm-hmm. give them better insight into what's actually happening to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk all these t- all the time about how like emotions are a basic mammalian like process. Mm -hmm. It's like hunger and thirst, like that's emotions, but feelings 
That's the hard part for a lot of people because feelings are how we interpret and how we unpack Mm -hmm. and the language that we use to describe Mm -hmm. what's going on. Um, And I think that we do a disservice to people in the United States and around the world um, because we spend essentially zero minutes of their entire education and then adult life unless they seek it out, teaching them how to really uh, understand what's going on inside of themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And, and yeah, I mean, it creates a culture of people who are perpetually looking outside themselves for nourishment, um, which, you know, again, coming back to that connection thing, it is important to connect. But if there's not a connection within, it's even more difficult to have a connection with others. So that's why this is connection. super important. Yeah. All right. So ready for question three? Okay. There we go. When is the right time to go? So I think this question is probably about like, do I go before there are problems? I mean, who needs it? Everybody. So that was part one. Question three is when is the right time to go? Uh, like the, To go to leave a relationship. Is that what they mean? Oh, no, no. This is to go to talk to you, oh, talk to a sexologist. To to, oh, I yeah. see. Uh, well, ideally, as soon as you get the sense um, that something is up, with you or in your relationship, that's a good time to go. It There can be times when it's too late. And I don't say that to scare folks, but just to caution them into recognizing that if resentments and frustrations have been allowed to build up for too long, sometimes it, you can hit a point where you can't come back from that. So it's earlier is better than later would be my advice. Um, I mean, I have so many stories of friends who sat in unhappy relationships for a long time, mm-hmm. and then they finally get to the sexologist, sex therapist, mm-hmm. sex counselor, they, they get into that position. And then it's just this like vitriol, yeah. just like just unloading on each other yeah. and the resentment yeah. and the hate and has just gotten so strong. It's, it's too toxic. And then even the most competent therapist or counselor or sexologist or whatever kind of practitioner you see, no matter how competent they are, if, if the poison has has embedded itself, you know, into the bones of the relationship. That's that's real. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's it's really hard to come back from. And it's also because it's not the therapist who brings you out of that. It's you that brings you out of that. You know. Yep. So as the therapist, we are always our job is to facilitate. It's not our job to you know. We are not in the relationship with you, so it's not our relationship. It's yours. So if you leave it so long that you are in a, you know up to your eyes and you can't breathe and you can't see anymore you're you're making it really hard for yourself so you want to you want to get into finding a therapist sooner rather than later and that's the other thing too is you're not going to click with every single therapist you got to probably audition a few first before you find a good fit i often describe it as like seeking out a seeking out a friend, you know, you're going to have a lot of acquaintances, but there's only a a few that are going to be very close to you. And so you might find a bazillion therapists online or, or clinicians when you're looking, but not all of them are going to be the right fit for you. And it's not so much about how qualified they are. The research is showing us that it's not about someone's qualifications or even what kind of therapy they practice. It's about the relationship between you and the therapist that determines the success of it. So, you know, I, I, my advice would be to worry less about, um, about, you know, who they are or where they are or those kinds of things and more about how you feel in their company. And so when you have the initial call with them or 
like with my clients, I meet them by video first uh, for them to get a feel for me, for them to see me as well. Um, and and you'll you'll know if if you feel comfortable with somebody or not. And this this is a super important thing to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of that response, you said, uh, as soon as you think, as soon as you sense something is up, what, what would be some of the kind of examples sensing something is up that you would say, like, get, get the to a sexologist? Mm. Uh, it would be if you're finding yourself in a cycle of unfulfilling sex with your partner, or if you're fighting, um, about the same thing over and over, or if you're feeling that the the power dynamic in the relationship is lopsided and not in a consensual way, or if you are constantly feeling like you're not being heard or valued in the relationship, or if um, you're afraid to speak up about sex as something that you want or something that's happening that you don't like perhaps, something that's hurting you and you don't know how to talk about it. All of these things are the kinds of reasons that you would want to reach out to somebody like me and definitely things that you don't want to to let them sit and fester because they will not heal by themselves. They will not. You do need to intervene. And the thing is working with somebody like me it's not always a terribly painful experience. It can be quite liberating and joyful. So, again, you know, because in my case in particular, I don't take a pathologizing view. This is not going to ever be about, you know, what's wrong with you. I'm always much more interested in where do you want to go? How do you want to feel? And what steps do we need to take to help you get there? So in that way, it's a bit more educational and exploratory rather than, um, you know, misery-making. That said, feelings can come up that might be a little bit confronting and challenging and uncomfortable, but you're already in a position where you're feeling confronted and uncomfortable, so it's not going to be worse than that. I mean, it's one of those things, if if you talk about sex a lot, and if you're more comfortable talking about sex, one of the things that we ask our listeners to do is, you know, like, just engage in basic conversations mm-hmm. with your friends and your partners, Absolutely. just get yourself up to that basic level of conversation where it's not this massive hurdle that you have to jump over just to say that I want something, or I think something is wrong, or I need something. Right, wrong. right, right. All right, so we need to take a short break. We will be right back with a few more questions. All right, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the show. Uh, Thank you for being here with us today, Cindy. Um, So we have a few more questions and some of them you've kind of already answered. So they'll go pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them might be a little bit personal, but here we go. (laughs) What are the three most common issues that you've run into over your career? Uh, in, In cis women, uh, it would be no orgasm. I think that would be the main thing that cis women would see me for. Uh, no orgasm ever? No orgasm in partnered sex, particularly oh, okay. particularly heterosexual partnered sex. Um, for cis men, it would be erection problems or ejaculation problems, either too much or not enough. 
Um, and for couples, it would probably be not being able to hear each other. They don't listen to each other very well and they make assumptions about what the other person is thinking, feeling, experiencing because they're not listening or, and I don't mean not listening like, you know, actively turning their back, but sometimes it's it's just really hard for to actually hear what your partner is saying without feeling like they're attacking you. And so a lot of the work that I do with couples is helping them hear each other without feeling like you're, that they're being blamed. Right. I mean, it, it's feel the feelings of defensiveness mm-hmm. whenever someone's just trying to talk about mm-hmm. like their issue, what's been bothering mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Which is, this- yeah, when you're in a partnership, it's hard to not feel like you're responsible for someone else's, you know, problem, I guess, in a sex context. And sometimes, sometimes it is directly related to something that you are or are not doing. But when your partner is saying, I, I you know, I want this, I don't want that. Um, that's a helpful thing. So part of the practice is in reorienting yourself to not be defensive and to say, oh, wow, thanks. Okay, that's a really useful piece of information to help me be a better lover for you. I mean, I, I love that way of looking at that as well. Um, have you had very many LGBT clients? Loads. Oh, my gosh. I think probably about 40% of my practice is LGBT. And do they have so do they have the same kind of questions as cis men and cis women like like the intergasmia erectile dysfunction yeah, rapid well, ejaculation I mean the the L and the G and the B uh, can still be cis people it's it's the T who generally right. are not cis um and so yes absolutely so and even for for trans people um they will experience sex problems also but there's a there's a very different thread there's a very different narrative running through their experience of the body and gender um and depending on how they experience the overlap between the physicality of their bodies and the the gender that they are identifying with um the questions may skew slightly from how they are from cis people simply because cis people have a prescribed view of how they're supposed to be sexually, whereas trans folks don't necessarily have that embedded narrative. And often the the reason for the conversation is to actually establish some sort of meaning and sense of connection to what it means to be trans or non-binary in a culture that says we only have two genders. Right, right. Um, there was a follow-up question to this. So what are the three most common issues and then how do you work on them? You've kind of talked a lot about uh, so far, like how to handle some of the communication issues mm. with couples, with listening mm-hmm. and defensiveness. Is there, I mean, I realize that often there's probably many sessions and even years sometimes of work to get through them. Are there any kind of quick like any, anything quick, like few sentences about uh, helping cis women with uh, no orgasms during penovaginal sex yeah. or cis men with their ED or rapid ejaculation? Um, so I think with cis women and orgasm, the primary things would be to masturbate a lot and with, with gusto, you know, masturbate <laughs> like you mean it. <laughs> um, and, and if it feels comfortable to masturbate in front of your partner, if that feels okay for you to do that, I know for a lot of women that is uh, a scary prospect. So it's not like, you know, you must, um, but it's, it's an option. And the reason that I suggest masturbating in front of a partner is so 
your partner actually gets a chance to see what kind of touch gets you off. Because a lot of the women who describe not being able to orgasm with a partner are perfectly capable of orgasming by themselves. So often it's because the touch that they're receiving is not quite right or it's not the right speed or it's not the right pressure or or it's just not for the right duration. Um, And, you know, with heterosexual women, uh, the tendency is for the, the 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 pattern of sex to move straight into penis and vagina intercourse, which the research confirms for us that that is primarily not the way that most cis women uh, experience orgasm. And so that right, is like, oh. yeah, that's less of an issue in lesbian and bisexual relationships because the kinds of sex that lesbian and bisexual women may engage in is a bit more exploratory. It's not necessarily rushing to penis and vagina sex often because there is no penis involved or if there is a penis involved, it's not the centre of the show. But because in heterosexual couplings, uh, the penis tends to be, you know, the the focal point of any kind of sexual endeavour, women miss out. And this is why this narrative has to change. This is why these uh, these sex problems are social problems. They're not individual problems. And this is the same with... Um, with cis men around their erection and ejaculation things because the emphasis is overwhelmingly on the penis and the, you know, penis performance, that the penis is like this performing seal in a circus. If we shift the pressure from that to say, well, there are so many other parts of your body that can experience pleasure and joy and that you can use your mouth and your hands and you can use toys and all this kind of stuff just to take the pressure off you having to be a performing seal in a, in a show. Um, and that if your erection comes and goes, no pun intended. Um, and if your <laughs> ejaculations come and go, no pun intended, it doesn't matter that you can still actually remain present in an erotic exchange, whether you're heterosexual or gay or bisexual, doesn't matter that you can still, show up sexually and not have it be entirely about whether or not you've got an erection or whether or not you had an ejaculation. I mean, right. All of all of these social scripts that we see, especially for heterosexual couples, are penis and vagina, male has an orgasm, sex is over. Yeah. Um, and, and it really sounds like f- for answering those two, you're like, we have to rewrite this script, Absolutely. right? Or get rid of the script yeah. altogether yeah. and change it so that it's individualized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, let's see. There's a couple more questions here. Um, I like the next one. I don't know if you're going to be able to answer it, but um, uh, our listeners are really interested in like what is the craziest story or craziest kind of event that has happened during you working with somebody? And I don't know what they mean by craziest. Yeah. That's their word, not mine. What's the craziest thing? I don't know that I actually can answer that because I don't think any of the stories that my clients have told me are crazy. Um, I mean, hmm. Could we, could we say wildest? Is that a is that a better well, better word? Because it's it's a, it's a, I guess it's a framework that that lends itself to kind of judgment and criticism that that puts me in a category of having to say what's normal and abnormal. And because a lot of my work is, I mean, I, I work with sort of straight vanilla people, but I also do a lot of work with people from the alternative sex communities, including sex workers and and that kind of stuff, people who participate in swinger parties and, you know, folks who engage in what I guess would be considered extreme activities by some in some circles. Uh, But because for me it's just another day at the office, it doesn't register 
to me as wild or crazy. Um, I, I guess you know what, when 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 a case stands out for me, it's because somebody is so incredibly heartless and mean to their partner that I am in shock at how they can be in a relationship. I think that's something that that's the, they're the cases that make me go, oh my goodness, how how do you function in this? You know. And I've had a lot of people, t- like a lot of friends in relationships and I'm like, your partner is cruel to you. Right. Like that is just like pure cruelty. Yeah. And then I advise them to get out. That's, that's what like, right. like that person isn't going to change for you. Right. Um, I have a really funny story to tell you. So you were talking about like extreme stuff. Okay. And um, so uh, I had a couple of friends come visit me recently. Um, and one of them has always been this kind of like nice vanilla guy. And he's dating this new girl. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, I'm kind of kinky. Um, and they're saying it to me. And I'm like, Oh, fine, whatever. I don't care. And like, Oh, do you want to come to this party with me? And I'm like, of course I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they thought I was going to be totally shocked. And it was this like really cool kind of like bondage goth BDSM, but they took over an entire club and they were like bondage and people tied up in ropes and suspension. And, and I was just kind of like, Oh, this is all really neat. And they were both really shocked that me walking into that situation, they thought I would be like, Oh, what is this? And instead I'm like, no, I want new things. I want, I mean, some of the things I'm never going to participate in. Someone wants to lick my shoes and I'm not into that, but I think it's awesome that someone is here and they're expressing themselves in a space where it could, um, one of the, my favorite things about talking about sexuality is that there's a million different ways for you to experiment and play with it and finding the right kind of people to experiment and play with and really enjoy yeah. your body and enjoy all the different ways that you can connect and have sex and intimacy Absolutely. is awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm sort of surprised that these people would think that you would be surprised going into a sex party like that. You of all people. I- I, it was, I mean, I think the big thing is like the, the guy, the guy, the male, the cis male partner, like he's known me for a long time uh, and he kind of knows what I do, but he never knew me in, in like a, a sex context uh-huh. where I'm out. The, so he kind of viewed me as this like, you know, kind of polite, funny, loud little gay guy right. and <laughs> did not think that it would translate into, you know, people and chains and all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Give me more. It was super fun. Yeah. All right. We have two questions. One of them is not going to take very long because you already gave us the answer, but I want to hear what you have to say. Right. Someone wants to know what they can do to make sure that they never have to see you. Uh, not you, you, not but of like, uh, God, uh, well, I, I guess my first response is why don't you want to? Uh, and the second thing is if you don't want to talk about sex with anyone, then I guess the onus is on you to do all the labour yourself, which if you want to do it that way, then I guess you can. But, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I don't think coming to, to a sex professional is a bad thing. It's like going to you know, why would you not want to take a shower? It's just, it's a good thing to do. So it's sort of a question that doesn't really resonate with me. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes into that whole, like, uh, we pathologize sex and not wanting to see a sex therapist means that someone has probably internalized a lot of negativity and shame and fear about sex. I mean, there there are definitely sex therapists around who are very pathologizing and very shame making and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, whatever, each to their own. But if you're going to see a sex therapist and you leave the session feeling like you're broken, like that's, 
they're not a good match for you. Uh, you know, you want to, this is the thing you got to do your research, find somebody who, cl- who you click with, find somebody who you, who you like being in their company. Cause you're going to be in their company for, you know, at least 45 minutes, if not longer, every other week. Um, you got to find someone that you, that you gel with. And the other thing too, I guess about sex therapy that folks need to recognize is it's not long-term. It's not going to go on for years and years and years. Sex therapy is generally quite brief. Um, and I mean, if you click with the, the therapist and you want to continue to have a professional relationship with them talking about stuff that's not sex and they're open to that, then that's fine. But generally speaking, sex therapy is short to medium term. It's not a long-term thing like psychoanalysis. It's a very, 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 very different process. Teach you some tools, give you some strategies, give you some homework. Lots of homework. I'm big on homework. I'm so glad that you said that. A couple episodes ago, we were talking about some other issues that people have. And I'm like, if you go to any kind of therapy or any kind of psychologist or any kind of therapist, Mm. I hope that they give you something that you take home Mm -hmm. with you and you Mm -hmm. keep working Mm -hmm. on yourself when you're not in your office. Because so many therapists out there, regardless of the kind, will meet with someone for an hour every other week. Mm And then there's no work that happens between. So it's just like this unloading session for an hour and then life is normal until you unload again for an hour. And there's not a lot of healing. There's not a lot of growth and development that happens in one one hour chunk every couple of weeks. Yeah, I just, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't want to poo-poo anybody's thing, but for me personally, I don't find that useful, you know? Yeah. Feel free to poo-poo it on our show today. No, okay. um, so we have one final question, um, and I like it. Uh, so do you have a funniest or most joyful story or experience over all of your years working as a sexologist? I think, you know, one of my favorite thing, Andrew, is when, when I, I visibly see people's lives change, and it can happen in a moment you know, a split second when there's, you know, they share some piece of information with me and then through discussion they, you know, I can almost see them join the dots in their mind and I see their body change. I actually see them change like the, the like it's almost like it washes over them, some sort of realisation, some sort of moment of, oh, my goodness, yes, this is what I've been looking for. I think when I have those moments, they're always the the most rewarding and the most um, fulfilling for me professionally. I mean, you can't predict how someone's going to respond in any given situation. So it's not like I'm going into sessions going, right, I'm going to force you to have this kind of outcome because you can't. Um, But when folks are really engaged in the process and they really – are you know they're doing their homework and they're showing up to sessions and they're they're really engaged with it and they're learning and they're curious you know even if it's not always pleasant there's there's a level of kind of willingness that that keeps the re- the professional relationship you know alive um and and they start noticing changes and and I start even seeing that they they carry themselves differently or they sort of start dressing slightly differently or, you know, they look a bit taller or just something. It just, you know, there's a little bit of sparkle in their eye and that's, I think they're the moments that I get most joy out of my job. That's 
Amazing. Um, I can guarantee you that people who are listening to this today, just listening to your short explanations, we, we were talking about things about listening and connection and how it's important. There are going to be a whole bunch of people who have aha moments just based off of, I mean, I'm not saying that they don't need you. I'm just saying that you have probably caused hundreds, if not thousands of people who are listening to these episodes to have that kind of spark, just Aww. starting that conversation. Good. You do it with me. I love every single time I, I, I'm around you. I, I leave feeling so happy and, and joyful. And I mean, you're doing the good work and the hard work. And yeah, I mean, thank you. No, it, look, I love, you know, I love this work. And, you know, I mean, obviously uh, your listeners know I'm not American. I don't sound American because I'm not American. I'm from Australia, but I live in New York. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of sort of changing the way that I work a little bit, changing what I'm doing a little bit professionally, and it's an, it's an exciting thing. It's a bit scary, I have to say, but it's also, you know, this is my part of my thing is that I walk my talk. You know, I don't, I never suggest clients to do things to try things that I'm not willing to do myself, and I'm not. It's not even a thing of you know, well, I did it, so you must too, but rather. Um, you know, a lot of the work that I do is very much about embodiment practices. I use the body a lot in my work. And part of that is also me modeling, um, you know, leading by example, that I'm also, you know, a, a person with flaws and vulnerabilities and stuff like everybody else. And I'm always in that constant motion myself of learning and experimenting and seeing what works and trying out new stuff and, um, you know, shedding layers of skin and then rebuilding new layers and making new connections with people and and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I think one of the things that folks get from working with me is that they that people often say how they feel very safe in my company, that there's a level of groundedness that they feel with me and, and permission. And I think that's something that I really try to embody for myself as well, that I like to remain, be grounded for myself and give myself permission. Um, and, and that often can just give folks a sense of peace and ease, you know, that uh, it's not about being ecstatically happy all the time. I don't know if anybody can sustain happiness. It sounds exhausting. It's like a permanent <laughs> orgasm. Like, really? Can you? I mean, it might. It's a nice idea, but really, you're going to get tired after a while. And we know, you know, from neuroscience, that anything that we do in repetition eventually becomes boring. So we want to have those highs and lows and peaks and troughs, so we can experience a textured life. Um, and and part of that is in in practicing practicing allowing ourselves the space to be and breathe and feel and that includes feeling joy and includes feeling a bit sad sometimes too and that that's not a sign of weakness or failure it's just uh it's texture you know and i mean if we really start digging into the research we know that um like grief and sadness are actually often for uh people better connectors than uh happiness yes. like you, you can find yes. more connection to somebody else in in grief or sorrow yes, um so I'm, i mean i'm not telling our listeners like go be sad and make good friends no, 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 no. but but it's inevitable but experience the full range of emotion yeah, it's inevitable i mean part of my thing of moving here just several months ago i uh, lost two people very close to me back in australia they died and even though i knew I knew that their deaths were imminent. 
they died within three weeks of each other and that was it was really too much for me I really I really fell off my perch you know and also because I was here so far away from Australia and um you know I still don't have a lot of strong connections here so I felt quite isolated in the experience of it and carrying that grief still now months later um but it's it's you know I can't reverse it obviously but it's um it's certainly added some more uh, robustness to my character and more more compassion for for the gentleness and the sensitivity that's required of moving through the world when you're aching, you know. And um, these things are important and, and being able to, to, to share those parts of myself along with the parts that make people laugh. I know I make people laugh. A lot of people think I'm quite funny, which I'm proud of. That's good. You, it's helpful when you're talking about something as scary as sex to be able to make people <laughs> laugh. Um, but also to sit with sadness, my own and other people's, is, uh, you know, it, it's not fun, but it, it's just how it is. Life, is. life is not always amazing, and that doesn't mean that you're broken or it's your fault. It's just... You know, th- these things are part of life. And so that connection stuff, that is always accessible to us no matter what we're feeling. And also to remember that feelings are not final. They're, they're you know, they move through us. They're not permanent. So that's a helpful thing to remember. That was a beautiful way to kind of end um, answering some of these questions. Oh. Uh, so part of our show now is called Just the Tip. Um <laughs> And you've given us 25 wonderful tips. Is there one, like, in your overall practice and experience, is there, like, one tip that you, you know, like, this is the mainstay, this is the big one, this is the one that people should work on? Like, is there just one tip? I know what I'm going to say for today. Mm -hmm. So, Spring and I constantly talk about communication. Yes. So, my tip today is that communication is also listening uh, really thoughtfully to the other person yeah. and working hard on not being defensive. Yeah. So communicate, listen, yeah. and then don't be defensive yeah. or try not to be defensive. Yeah. yeah. And I think so that's mine. Okay. And my tip I think follows, follows on from that. Um, and it's one that I will borrow from a good friend of mine, Kate Bornstein, who is a, a well-known trans activist and writer and she has a blog post from like a bazillion years ago on her site that says, don't be mean. And I think we forget how important it is to not be mean because when we are feeling afraid or defensive or, uh, you know, under-resourced talking or thinking about sex, all the communication in the world and all the listening and all of that stuff has absolutely no grounding if we are being mean. So when we hold the value of kindness dear, it's always going to orient us in the direction that we need to go in. So if you catch yourself being mean, pull yourself back and go, no, no, I'm going to do this differently. Go and do, we call it for the opposite action. Do the opposite thing. So if you're feeling vengeful, you want to go and, you know, key somebody's car or whatever, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that, you know. Allow yourself to be kind. It really, it really changes the way people relate to you and how you relate to yourself. I think that's 
absolutely lovely. Um, it's, it's a big part of my overall like life philosophy, like build other people up, say good things, mm-hmm. do good things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, right. Like, and I'm not a perfect person either. I of course have oh, like, uh, uh, I just want to, uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, we have a shout out today, and uh, this is a very special shout out because uh, Cindy has a new series that's coming out in just about three or four weeks, probably end of October, beginning of uh, September, called A Desire Series, and you can find it on her website. We'll put a link uh, in our notes, yes. and we'll be also- it's an online uh, class about rekindling desire and libido when you think you've lost it. I mean, and how important is that building mm-hmm. good libido? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll put a link to it in the uh, to our in our notes for the show, and we'll also be posting about it on our social media. Um, if you don't follow us on social media, you should. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Sex Wrap. Um, and if you look at who we follow, we don't follow too many people. Cindy is one of the people that we follow because she posts really amazing affirmations. Sometimes they're naughty affirmations, <laughs> um, but she has this really great. Uh, social media presence as well. Um, what's your social media handle, Cindy? On Twitter and Instagram, it's Cindy underscore Darnell. So the spelling is C-Y-N-D-I underscore D-A-R-N-E-L-L. And on Facebook, it's Cindy Darnell page. But if you just put in Cindy Darnell, you'll probably find me. There's me and a couple of others, but I'm the only sex one. The other ones are... Uh, doing other stuff so (laughs) and we will make sure we put links to all of this and then on instagram whenever the desire series comes out we'll make sure that we put links so you can find it there coming out in a month and otherwise my uh online course the atlas of erotic anatomy and arousal is up it's been up for a few years it's really popular people love it and it's everything you need to know about the body and pleasure it's awesome all right. So um, thank you for listening, everybody. If you have any questions or you want any follow-up, feel free to let us know. You can email them to us. We're the sexwrap at gmail.com. That's wrap with the W. You can call us at 413-I-RAP-IT. And you can find us on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Sex Wrap. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being here today, Cindy. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just two of music for this episode provided by the ever elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. <laughs>